Good afternoon. You know, a year ago, if you had asked me, would you ever miss Charlotte, I would have looked at you in a strange way. <laughs> but miracles happened, and so I, I, I haven't finished my statement. You don't know what I'm talking about yet. I was in uh, Montreal last week. Guess what? Snow. <laughs> Cold. Windy. I miss Charlotte, believe me. So I'm glad we came home. It's interesting when you travel, you meet lots of people, insiders and outsiders. And uh, there was a man who came to me and he said, Mr. Parkinson, said, it's too bad the church hasn't realized that we, we are no longer under the old covenant, but under the new covenant. I said, excuse me? He said, we are under the new covenant. I said, yes, I know. Now, the question is this. Let me put you to test. Suppose someone comes to you and says, are we under the new or the old covenant now? How would you answer? In such a way that people will understand what you're talking about, that you will be able to defend your points from the Bible and also be sure that you know your answers are correct. See, you are called to be teachers, you and I. We are going to meet people like that who will pretend to be only under the new covenant. So, I, I just would like to just put you to that challenge. I did, and I'll tell you more or less the way I handled or I would handle. Let's go back to Ambassador College. You see, we students, I was a student at the time, we students learned that there was a purpose in life, a purpose in creation. The purpose of man is, from God's point of view, from what we are now, physically speaking, and to what we will become eventually when we turn to be spiritual beings. So you see, life is a, a process, an ongoing transformation from physical to spiritual. That's the basis. We learned that, and we also learned one major truth, which we don't emphasize lately, which we should, Mr. Armstrong used to say there's a, a duality in the Bible, a dual happenings. Have this in mind, because the word dual is going to come in my sermon time and again. God's purpose is dual. Creation is dual. Dual means that it has two sides, two facets. So we learned that prophecy was dual at the college. Later on, we became teachers. And we began to teach, and we all know that uh, unless you read the, the Old Testament, sorry, I didn't mean Old Testament. See, there again. See, we are so used to say Old Testament, New Testament, you won't find in the Bible, from Scripture's point of view, the word Old Testament. That's added by men. Men, men called it Old Testament, New Testament. I did it purposely. I said Old Testament. I should have said Old Covenant if you want to. 
But we learn that there's duality in the hypothesis true that what happened previously is going to happen again. And this dual purpose in prophecy is going to be very important for us because in between the two, between the physical to the spiritual transformation, we, we undergo through trials, experiences, sicknesses, death sometimes. So we learned that when you read the Bible, there's no such thing as an Old Testament. It's Old Covenant and New Covenant. But even then, the word covenant is very uh, misused, very much so. This man I was talking to, he said Old Covenant. I said, sir, the word is plural in the Bible because the Bible speaks of many, many covenants. God made a covenant with Abraham, with Jacob, Isaac, David. See, there are lots of covenants. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. So, again, be sure that you know what you're talking about. Are we under the old covenant or the new? So, coming back to his duality. So, we do have the old covenant and the new testament, or the new covenant, if you want to. But there's more to it. More often than not, when we read the Bible, you and I, even though we know it, we refer to chapters, we refer to verses. Actually, verses and chapters were added later on to the Scripture. The Bible never speaks of Old Testament, nor of New Testament, but the Bible speaks of Scriptures. Christ spoke of Scriptures. Paul spoke of scriptures. Let me start with 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul spoke about how to read the scriptures, the Bible. And then he refers to, and he makes a very important statement, something which we all should know because of the fact Paul gives us the exact meaning of the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all, and that means all, of course, scripture, and not talking about testament, is it? All the scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, that's how I know. Scriptures is what you find in the Bible, both testaments, it's all given by God under inspiration. And to make us what? To make us wise. Wise for what purpose? Salvation. So salvation is what we call now the transformation from physical into spiritual. That's what we're talking about, duality. Right now, you and I, we are physical. But we are on our way to salvation or spiritual being. And this process is what we call this in ongoing for the transformation, this growth, growing in grace and knowledge. And Paul says that we need all the scriptures for that purpose, for salvation. But how? I can't do it. You cannot do it through faith in Christ. That one little verse, you have read it time and again, but you see, you have to understand this before you know what is. It is old Testament or Old Covenant, rather, 
and the new covenant. And then it's given, it's profitable for us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those are not plain words, brethren. I wish you would just take time and study every word here. It's all from God's point of view. That's why you and I have the Bible. Christ never preached from the, what we call the New Testament. Christ preached from the Scriptures. Look. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Don't forget the, title, the subject of the title of this sermon is Are we under the Old Testament or Old Covenant or under the New Covenant? Luke chapter 24. Christ died for our sins and he resurrected through his resurrection we have eternal life by his death our sins are forgiven you know that we're just celebrating right now the feast of unleavened bread so we read here something very interesting when Christ came back to life after his being crucified he came to the disciples and he talked to them. They did not believe him first. Uh, and then he said, look, verse 44, look, 24, verse 44. These are the things, he says, which I spoke to you while I was with you. All the things must be that, all things must be fulfilled which were written in what? In the law of Moses, he's dividing into three sections now, the whole scriptures of what we call Old Testament. He says, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. You know what? If you study the Bible, you will know that the Jews who are given the protection or keeping of the old part of the Bible, so the Jews are divided into three sections of the Bible, and that's what Christ is quoting here saying the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then, verse 45, he opened, look this, he opened their understanding that they may comprehend what? The scriptures. So that's what you find in the Bible. It's always the scriptures. And you can read there later on, Paul said it was given to, he tells, he tells Timothy that he knew the scriptures as a child and through scriptures, he was led to Christ. Now let me go a bit further, because of the fact the question is, are we under the old covenant or under the new? Always have in mind duality. Always has in mind physical and spiritual. Right now, we are all physical. I don't care how you slice it. <laughs> good, good way of putting it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, this man I was talking to, he thinks he's under the new covenant, the new creature. I look at him, I could not see any halo. I could not see anything holier than thou attitude. He meant well, but you see, my, my job was not to make fun of him, my job was to explain to him. So, I said and I tell you, let's start with this duality of creation. Back in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, after God created heaven and the earth and man, he did something. Verse 1. Thus the heaven and the earth and all that there is in them were finished. Now again, understand. What was finished? 
God's creation? Yes and no. The creation which was finished was the physical aspect of it. So the physical aspect was finished here. But the whole creation, the transformation into spiritual aspect is not finished yet. Not even started yet. We're just in the process, in the making. So God finished the physical part. And uh, the seventh day he rested. That's what we're doing right here right now. And he blessed it. And he tells us to keep it holy. Chapter 1, Genesis 1, verse 26, you see now the creation of man. After creating the physical things, the animals and so forth, God says, let let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Just think about it. Is God physical? No. Is God spiritual? Yes. Did God create man after his own likeness? That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Yet we are physical. I have this in mind because we're going to come back to this. The man was made so that eventually we are going to be like him spiritually. But right now we are physically speaking after his own image. And they gave man authority over all the creation on earth. Then again you can see a duality here. Man has authority over the creation. Eventually, when we are in God's kingdom, a spiritual being, we are going to have authority over all of God's creation. That's the purpose of life, as you know. Let's continue. As you see in Genesis chapter 2, that man was created, that creation, physical creation was finished. And then John, the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 3, explains the new birth. You know what's the physical aspect of birth or creation we're talking about? First John chapter 3. We have seen this time and again. It's very important for us at this time of the year, especially when we're keeping God's Feast of Unleavened Bread, to understand this basic truth. See, because before you know what you're talking about, covenant, old covenant, new covenant, you have to know why you were born. That's our purpose. And that's what I want you to understand because we are born, we were born here for a purpose. That purpose to change from what we are to what we're going to be. And John explains in 1 John chapter 3, very, very clearly. I think you can't make any clearer than this as to what the purpose of life is in this making, changing process. It says, behold, behold verse 1, 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, a child of a man, of a couple, it's, a ma- it's, 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 it's human. A baby of an animal, it's whatever the animal is. So you see, God clearly said that we are going to be called the children of God. Again, that duality we'll see in a moment because of the fact right now we are children of God by begettal those of us who are baptized, but otherwise we are not born of God. So here John speaks very clearly, we call children of God, therefore he says, the world does not know us because it did not know him, it did not know Christ. He says, but now we are children of God, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That is your spiritual fulfillment. 
which is not in Genesis, which is not in the Old Covenant, so to speak. But we know that when, we, when he is revealed, Christ comes again, we shall be like him. Then that's the time we're going to be spiritual beings. For we are, we're going to be, we shall see him as he is. Right now, no one sees Christ as he is. So he says, and everyone who has this hope, there's your hope. Remember hope, faith, love, Paul speaks of. This hope in him purifies himself just as he, Christ, is pure. I don't know if you are able to follow what I'm saying here because it's so simple. The whole purpose of creation, as far as man is concerned, God wants us to be like him spiritually speaking. Right now, we are only after his own likeness on a physical level, if I may use the word physical, as far as God is concerned. Now, when Christ came, he did something which very few people in the world understood. Yet the Jews knew enough about the Bible, some of the Jews at least, and they wanted to know more about the reason why Christ came. And one of the doctors at the time, called Nicodemus, John 3, came to Christ because he knew there was something that he had to understand. So he came to Christ, John 3, and he asked a very simple question. He knew Christ was uh, someone out of this world, so to speak. So he wanted to know exactly what was the purpose for being here, for life and so forth. So he says, look, says Master, John 3, verse uh, 2, he says, we know that you are the teacher come from God. Look at the statements. Of course, he came at night because he was afraid of his compatriots. That's besides the point. So he asks Christ, look, he says, you're a teacher, you come from God, and no one can do the things you are doing unless God is with him. Now, you know, strange. When I want to ask you a question, you answer my question. Oftentimes in the Bible, when people ask questions of Christ, he did not answer directly. Check it. You'll be surprised. Sometimes he asked them by another question. Sometimes he came, he came with a totally different answer. Now, the man is saying, look, you are a rabbi and so forth. I mean, this is, what's happening? Christ says, verse 3, surely I say to you, Look, what, what does that have to do what, with Nicodemus' question? Unless one is born again, he cannot, be, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Christ came exactly to the point we're talking about, this transformation. Of course, Nicodemus did not understand. He didn't know what he was talking about, Christ. He says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter? You see, he's still talking, Nicodemus, from a physical point of view. Can he go back to... His mother's womb. And Christ comes back again. Verse 5. I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, there's your duality again. See, because of the fact you and I are to be born from the water and the spirit. Otherwise, we have to be repent of our sins, be baptized, be born by begettal, by receiving the spirit of God. That's what Christ is talking about, the, about here. Therefore, he says, that's what we have to be born, that we have to be begotten of God. 
And then he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. All of us are, yes. Which is born of the spirit is spirit, and none of us yet is born of the spirit. All of us who are baptized, we are begotten of God. I remember Mr. Armstrong had you know, so much difficulty explaining to people, look, please understand in Greek there's only one word for begetto. And which that same word means to beget, to be born, or to conceive. I remember so I just then he says people don't get it unless but you see once you understand the purpose of life and the duality and this transformation from physical into spiritual, you will know what the term will be, whether begetal or being born or being or conceived. We saw as John says that we have to be born of God to see him. Therefore you and I we are not yet born of God. Back to my question, are we under the old covenant or the new? Let's continue. It's going to be clear and clear as time goes on because of the fact it's very simple, practically speaking. You take a coin, any coin. You can even take a French coin if you want to. <laughs> so, what part of the coin is the coin? <laughs> you know what, see, the coin is that... I don't care how you switch it around. Both sides together make a coin. Not any one of the coins will make a coin unless both, the, both sides are there. So once you get that point, you're going to see that the old covenant and the new covenant, it's just like a coin. You can't do without one without the other. So long as you are a physical being, that's that coin there. Therefore, to ask the question, whether we are under the old covenant or the new, you tell me which side of the coin is the real coin and the other side which is not the real coin. See what I mean? So, let's continue. The Old Testament, what we say the Old Testament, was given to a people who did not yet have God's Spirit. Therefore, Christ talked to them in a language they could only understand, in the sense of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's all they could understand. They knew what murder was. But they did not go any further as far as spiritual murder is concerned. When Christ came and gave that truth to the people, explained what God's laws are, people only could understand, I repeat again, that physical aspect of the law, not the spiritual aspect. Let me stop here for a moment. Let's go back to the creation again. When the first man was created, Adam and Eve, they were equal, by the way, God wanted them to have that transformation his own way, God's way, not man's ways. Man wanted to transformation man's way. Understand well. See, what's God wanted to have Adam and Eve eventually spiritual being in his kingdom. That's what they were created. They failed because they wanted to have what God offered them their own ways. The same thing is happening to you today and to me today. We, humanly speaking, we want things our own way. Yet we want to be blessed by God. You could never make it. If you want to be blessed by God, you have to have, do the things God's way. 
Adam and Eve did not get the point. They failed. So God still had the purpose of man's creation. So he called a nation. Rather than just one man, he called a nation. And then that nation came from Abraham. Now that's the first covenant the man was talking about in, in, in Montreal. All right. That was a covenant God made with Abraham. And the covenant was because you have done what I said, you have kept all of my commandments and the laws, the statutes. You'll be blessed. His children, Isaac, Jacob, and all of this. So God covenant with him. Call that old covenant if you want to, but that old covenant was still part of the new because the whole promise was given to Abraham so that all of us would be one day changed into a spiritual being. So God gave Abraham and through Abraham's seed the way to realize what the first couple did not do. What happened? <laughs> you know the story very well. So Abraham's children, grandchildren, before you know it, they uh, turned their way. Well, they turned away from God. They started doing things God did not tell them to do. So they become sinners in the <laughs> real sense of the word. They just turned away from God. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm trying to make it very clear because I think this question will be asked to s some of you because I see more and more a lot of people, especially now that people are waking up, coming back to us, to the church of God, they will say, what was the matter? What's the difference between Old Covenant and the New Covenant? And I want you to be able to explain this in such a way that they will know, they will be able to understand, and that you yourself will be stronger in this faith. Isaiah 55. Uh, God shows us, I'm sorry, 57. Uh, God shows us exactly what is it that actually uh, separates us from God. This, it shows clearly that sin is what separates man from God. Isaiah 55, Isaiah 57. Uh, you can read the rest because of the fact I just have other things in mind yet here. But you see, God shows that what separates man from God is sin. We have to actually do away with sin, turn to God to be able to achieve the very purpose for which we, are, we were born. Now, what happened to this nation of Israel? God called Abraham's seed, Israel, so that Israel or Israelites will do what actually Adam and Eve did not do. You know, it's, the conditions are the same. We have to obey, we have to do God's will to be able to be saved, that is salvation toward the spiritual being. We have, to go to, we have to go God's ways. Here, Israelites, because they went their way, they suffered, they became slaves in Egypt, and they cried out to God. Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. It's interesting because of the fact we are right now in the middle of this feast of unleavened bread. And we can see that here is a nation 
whom God had called, the nation God called, what did God call Israelites for? To kill them in the desert? No. He called them out of Egypt because he wanted to save them. Why did he call them? Why did he uh, come to save them? Because people were groaning and mourning. Look, Exodus chapter 2, verse uh, 23. So it happened that in the process of uh, time, the king of Egypt died. You know the story about Joseph and so forth. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. Remember the duality with bondage. They suffered because they were slaves in Egypt. We today also suffer because we are slaves here, the older type of, new type of Egypt, unless we turn to God, unless we come out of Egypt. So here people want to get out of Egypt. So they called on God. And God remembered, verse 25, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So God looked down and then he had compassion. That's what the word is. So he did something. Now just put yourself back into new today's conditions. We too today are in Egypt. Different Egypt, but the world. We too are mourning and groaning. We too are asking God to just come to our rescue. Just as God did, he went to their rescue. He took them out of Egypt. He gave them commandments. He told them what to do. And he said, look, same thing again. There's Adam again. Unless you do what I say, you're going to suffer. But if you obey my laws, my commandments... My statute, as Abraham did, then I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Both on a physical and eventually spiritual point of view. Now here again, the same chance Adam and Eve had was given to the First Nation. Not because of the fact they were better, you know that very well, because they were even worse. But God called them because of Abraham's covenant between him and Abraham. So what happened? Exactly what's happening today in the world. People wanted to have God. But they wanted to have a God that would please them. Just like you and me, humanly speaking. We want things our own way. After a while, when they had, they came out of Egypt, and nowhere in the Bible you will find any statement that God said, I will take you out of Egypt to kill you. Yet all the way through, there's Exodus for 40 years, the first thing they would say every time they missed something, why did you take us out of Egypt? Kill us? You want us to die in the desert? See, again, please don't look at it as a history. Look at it from your point of view. When you separate, but something happens, why did that call me? I've heard people say, look, I didn't want to be called. You know, it's strange. When you, when you get to that point, you forget. The fact is God wants us to be in his kingdom. That's a purpose. That's salvation. Therefore, in the meantime, the only way we can do it is his way. Therefore, when things go wrong, don't blame God as they did our forefathers. They blame God because they did not have enough to eat. 
sprouted drink, whatever it is. Look, God took them out of Egypt. He knew people needed to eat and drink water. So every time they did not have water or bread, they just shouted, yelled, and complained. They want to go back. They blamed God. They blamed Moses because of the fact they just followed the same way as Adam and Eve. They turned away from God. You know, one thing I remember so well in college, we used to say, Israelites, unlike what you think, never came out of Egypt. They took Egypt along with them. That's why it is. All the dirt, all the filth, all the sins they had in Egypt, they took along with them. That's why they doubted God all the time. That's why every time they missed something, where is God? Where is God? When you are living with sin, you will not find God. Not that God is not with you, but there's a a barrier or a wall between God and you because sin separates you from God. So Israelites were wondering where was God in the desert. And they could not find him. So likewise, you see, God, when he took them out of Egypt, he said, look, here's the way to go. Back in Exodus chapter 14. Please understand, all this now again, I'm, I want you to understand because this is again a dual purpose, the duality, dual prophecy, the two covenants. You will see by the time I get through that, you will know that we are under the old and the new covenant at the same time. That's why we, we, I want you to understand. Look, God told Israelites when they came out of Egypt, he said, I'll, I'll take you out. But the first thing they did, Exodus 14, verse 10, when they saw Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army, they were afraid. Brethren, you have your eyes on Christ, not on, on the enemy. So people, they were afraid. When you turn your eyes away from God, you're always, you're always afraid. So the first thing they did, verse 11. Why do you take us out of Egypt? Do you want us to die? You see, there it is. Let us alone. Verse 12. And Moses said something which, of course, came from God. He said, don't be afraid. That's one thing I wish we all had more of. Lack of fear, more of faith. Because when you see, faith is positive. Fear is negative. So here we have people negative because they turned away from God. So God says, look, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That salvation of the Lord, again, is that dual sense. First, you're coming out of Egypt so that that will enable you to enter eventually the kingdom of God when your time comes to be changed. So, people had this warning. But they did not stay in that warning, did they? God had told them they will be taken into a new land, a new place, a land of uh, honey and milk. Today, God has also made a promise for us to come out of Egypt, modern Egypt, to take the new land. Let's do phase again. And this new land is not the land of honey and milk. It's the kingdom of God, the joy, the land of joy. And the conditions are the same. The conditions are the same as it were 
under Israelites. Obedience to God, to his will, keep his laws, and at all times always go his way, his righteous way, not ours. Today, some of us have forgotten that. Some of us, uh, they still say, well, I'm under the new covenant now, I don't need all this. That's what exactly Israelites did. Once they had this covenant of God because of Abraham, once they came out of Egypt and they were on their way to this promised land, then they saw other nations. They saw other people doing their things on their own way. The physical human mind would like to, would like to have things that pleases the human mind. So they want to be like other nations. First Samuel chapter 8. It's a tremendous sequence, as you can see. It's very, you can see what's happening. They see, they turn around away, away from God. They see other nations having good time, quote unquote, their own ways. So they want to be like other nations at the same time to be God's people. You can't do that. You can't have one foot in God's church and one foot in the world. And that's what Israelites wanted to do. They want to have God's blessings but also do like the other nations did. So when Samuel told God about it, God said, look, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, they are not rejecting you. He said, they are rejecting me, me, me verse 7. And so but just tell them exactly the things which are going to happen. You can read the rest. It's interesting because Samuel told them exactly all the bad things that are going to happen to them. That they'd be slaves. And look, they were slaves. Egypt. Now they want, they are going back to slavery again. God says, look, tell them that the, the, the king you want, the human king you want, will take your sons away from you. Verse 11. This, uh, verse 12, he will appoint, this, this king will appoint captains over thousands and so forth. He will take your harvest away from you. Verse 15, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and and, and almost be, be slaves and so forth. And he will take the best of everything you have. Verse 14. Verse 15. He will take the tent of your grain. Rather than God's tithe, here's the king taking it away. And he will take your men servants, maid servants. <coughs> so. People were given the warning. They could not say, but they didn't know. God told them exactly what was going to happen. So, <clears throat> they listened to, they heard it, but they had to make a decision. And Samuel said, look, Samuel said, the day will come that the Lord will not, verse 18, hear you anymore. Those warnings are the same all the time. They were with Adam and Eve, they were with our forefathers. They are with us today. So people heard all of that. Verse 19. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. Nevertheless, people refused. Interesting, isn't it? They refused. They refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, no, says, we, will, we will still have a king over us the way we want it to be. They will be like other nations. And the king may judge us. 
Remember what God, God said? There will be time I won't hear you anymore. So, first Adam turned away from God, turned down God's commandments, God's offer. First nation turned away from God and also rejected God's offer. And now Christ came. And Christ did the same thing again, this time offering to God's Spirit. The same thing Adam and Eve were given, the same thing our forefathers were given, but under different conditions. Let's go back once again for a minute, back to the Old Covenant, if you want to. Abraham was obeyed God in every respect, statutes, commandments, laws. So when the people came out of Egypt, God gave them the Ten Commandments, as I mentioned. And the Ten Commandments were given in such a way that people could understand every word of it, physically speaking, like a child. You say, look, don't touch the, that fire because you got burned. The child might not understand, but if he puts his finger in the, in the fire, he will know it's going to burn. So the same way God gave the Ten Commandments in such a way that they will get hurt if they broke it. Deuteronomy chapter 5. You know very well, I won't read them, but here are all the Ten Commandments. The reason why I want you to just at least see part of it, because every aspect here of the Ten Commandments could be understood with the carnal mind. Anyone in this world, any pagan, any religion, will know what it means not to have other gods. He will know what it means not to commit adultery. They might have their understanding, but that's they know. They will know what it means not to kill. I mean, it's all there. They will know what it means not to murder, not to steal, not to lie. It's all there. So you see, the nation of Israel could understand this thing. If they kept this law, they would have been on the way to salvation. But as you see, they rejected they told Samuel, no, we want to be like other nations. So they turned away from the Ten Commandments. So what happens when Christ came? Christ gave the same Ten Commandments again, but under different conditions. You see, our forefathers, as you well know, came out of Egypt. They had to go to the Red Sea. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul explains exactly what happened there. He says they came to the Red Sea. And just like you and I, when we are baptized, we come out of the water. So our forefathers, under Moses' guidance, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse uh, 2. They were all baptized into Moses into the cloud and the sea, in, and in the sea. When they came out of the Egypt, they went to this Red Sea, which was dried by the power of God. And they all had the 
ate the same spiritual food. Now, what, what does that mean? I'll come to it in a moment. And they drank the same spiritual drink. What did they drink? They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now you can see, because you come into this new covenant now. See, God showed them that even though they did not have God's spirit, they had God's presence in a cloud. Cloud of fire, cloud of light, but at least they, had Christ, they could see Christ, Christ's presence in the clouds. So that was the spiritual, and they had Christ's presence, and Christ is the one who gave them the water they needed. He gave them the, the bread they needed. They still did not see it. So what happened here? They just went through this Red Sea, dried up. Likewise, you and I, when God calls us out of Egypt, we have to go through this type of a procedure in a way, process. In Romans chapter 6, I'm going back and forth, I know, but I hope you follow, because it's, for you and for me, this should be very simple, very clear, because we know it. It's just a question of putting all these things together. Romans 6. Romans 6 is exactly what happened to the Israelites when they were called out of Egypt. Except this time it's under Christ's guidance, under the new covenant, if you want to put it that way, under the transformation of a man, the process of, from physical into, script, uh, into spiritual, step by step. Paul says, uh, don't you know, verse 3, Romans 6, uh, don't you know, he says, that uh, as many of you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. We just kept Passover. We saw what it means. Christ paying his penalty, our, the penalty of our sins. So he says, likewise, we were baptized unto his death. Verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, which we should also be raised when we come out of the water. Newness of life. You see that duality again. Both sides, physical and spiritual. All the way through you will find this in the Bible. So, our forefathers failed. They went through the Red Sea. They did not get drowned. But they turned away, and in a way they died. Likewise, we too were, did accept Christ. We went through this burial process. And we became new spiritual beings, begotten, begotten of God. That's your begetal. And Paul says, uh, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Verse 5. Certainly says we shall also be like in, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that, verse 6, our old man, that carnal self, was crucified with him. Is it the case as far as you're concerned, as far as I'm concerned? It was, this is the po starting point. Unless our sins are crucified with Christ, we will not be subject to this transformation from physical into spiritual. The body of sin, he says, might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves of sin. We carry the rest. So you can see that duality again between these two crossing the sea. We go through baptism. They went through the Red Sea. We get God's spirit into our hearts, minds, 
and they only had in front of them they could see which way to go, but they did not go that way. They, they turned away from God. When Christ came, he did not, I, I stress, did not do away with the old covenant. Matthew chapter 5. Let's always remember the two sides of the coin. Without one of the other two sides, the coin is not the coin anymore. So the old covenant and the new covenant is just two sides of a coin. You cannot separate. There's no way. Christ came and says, look. He says, verse 17, Matthew 5. Don't think that I came to destroy the law. You can't be any clearer than this. And the prophets. Remember what he said about law and the prophets and Psalms? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. To just make it clear to you. Live by it. And then he explains very clearly that, clearly that not, no, no part of the law would be done away with until he returns, until this change happens. And then he spiritualized, if I may say so, perhaps magnified the Ten Commandments. There are the Ten Commandments here, summed up. He's giving the same commandments that Israel had on a physical level of understanding, and Christ gives it to us now on a spiritual way of understanding because we have God's Spirit. If we have God's Spirit, you will know that, verse 21, murder could be both ways, physical and on a spiritual line too. And Christ, look at it. I mean, only human, only converted mind will know what it means that when you get angry to your, against your brother, verse 22, without the cause, that you should be in danger of a judgment. Oh, wait a moment. Of course, angry in a the, in the, in, in the way that you were harming, so you'll be almost guilty of murder. See, this uh, human mind will never understand. There's no way you can understand. Unless you have God's spirit, you will not know what it means that, well, look, we all get angry, I know. But the fact is that there's anger which could make you hate your brother, talk against your brother, want to harm your brother in Christ's way of judging, that is as bad as killing your brother. And you, you, you become a murderer. Verse 27. I mean, see, to you and to me this makes sense. But to the world it does not make sense. He says, you should not commit adultery. Verse 27. The human mind knows what it means. But only God's mind we have through his spirit we know the difference. What it means to envy, to covet a woman or vice versa in a spiritual way. From God's point of view, the same, on the same level. See, brethren, our forefathers did not have that understanding. But then they did not have God's spirit. When we came through this baptism of ours, the burial of ours, when we received God's spirit, then from that moment on we have the understanding because God's spirit is in us and we know what it means not to commit adultery, both on the physical and the spiritual way. Our forefathers did not have that understanding. But they had all the help they needed, yet they turned away from God. You know, it's very, very interesting in the sense that all the way through, history never changes. What God wanted with Adam and Eve, what he wanted with the First nation he called. What he wants with us is always the same thing. Look, I am your father. 
I want to help you. I want you to be changed one day from what you are to what you should be. That's the whole purpose. That's the reason why we were born. That's the duality we're talking about. We are, now we are human beings, human minds. Some of us have received God's Spirit. Now we have God's Spirit in us, but we still are human beings. We still all are under the old covenant because we are flesh. We keep the law and in the letter and in the Spirit. Therefore, all the things that our forefathers experienced or learned, we need the same lessons too. But added to the new covenant in the sense that we have to have the new understanding. Not doing away with, but improving our relationship with God. See, brethren, that simple, simple duality, the simple covenants is what made us able to understand. Back in 1 Corinthians, oops. <clears throat> chapter 5, here we are in the midst of this Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can see very clearly what Paul means about this spiritual aspect of the feast. You see, God's feasts are also physical. But they portray God's spiritual plan. That duality again. See, our forefathers knew what the feasts were. They were keeping the feasts. They didn't know what they meant, the feasts. When we have God's spirit today, we as a church understood and understand what the feasts portray, the change, step by step, the transformation of the man physical into man spiritual. So Paul explains that in First Corinthians chapter 5 and shows that we have to keep both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, Well, let's go to verse 9, first of all, right? 19. No, it's not 19. It's verse uh, 5. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go a bit further. Uh, let's uh, start with 6. So, your glorifies, your glorying says, no good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You know what you see? It shows, and we have learned through this feast what it means to be unleavened, so they can put leaven away, the pompousness, pride, vanity, all of that is leaven. Brethren, if you have any such ideas that you see, oh no, you're humble and you're you know, not vain, I think you better examine yourself because human nature is filled with vanity, filled with pride. And that also is leaven. We have to put all that away. So Paul says, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, it says, purge out the old leaven. What is this old leaven? We're talking about all, not only this physical aspect of it, but also the spiritual, that you may be a new lump. Remember? We came out, out of baptism into new spiritual, new physical being with God's Spirit in us. He said, a new lump, since you are unleavened. We have to repent of our sins and we have to turn away from sin. For indeed Christ, uh, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. That's the same thing we see. But now that's the physical part and then Paul explains the spiritual aspect of it. Therefore, he says, let us keep the feast 
It is saying, keep the feast. He's not saying, let's forget about the feast. It's physical. He says, no, let's keep the feast. Not only with all leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, there's so much to say here, but those words are, again, not plain words. What does sincerity mean? God is faithful. God is sincere. What, is, what does truth mean? You know, in John, Gospel of John, you can check it yourself. There are seven times Christ identified himself with certain things. He said, I'm the truth. I'm the truth. He says, I'm the way. He said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the good shepherd. Remember? There are seven of those. And one of them was, I'm the truth, the way. So you see, if you're going to keep the feast, you have to keep in a way that you understand what the truth is. God's word is truth. And Paul explains that, look, this can only be done if you have God's spirit in us. None of us, honestly speaking, would like to be in this world the way the world is. I mean, you can see more and more. Well, the, more the more I see, 50 years ago, when you look back, I can look back that far, some of you can't, but you see, I can see what the world was. Frankly, compared to what it is now, it was a much better world. <laughs> it was rotten, it was bad, but it was not as bad as it is today. Today we've gone so far away from God, it is unbelievable how much this country has changed. How much Israelites have changed. Now we're in this, shall I say, under slavery in a new type of Egypt, and we're all suffering, the world is suffering, and some of the people are not willing to turn to God. Asking God, look, God, do something. God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't even want us to die, says Ezekiel. Those are simple truths, brethren. But the only way to understand this, we have to know that we are under the old and the new covenant because that's a spot size of the coin. You can't do one without the other. As long as we are human beings. So, here we see Paul saying to us, look, you are in this world, but don't be part of it. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you, he says, in my epistle, not to keep company with sexual immorality and so forth. Yet he says, certainly this did not mean with people of the world. Covetousness or whatever it is. But otherwise, says you have to need to get out of the, uh, to get to, get, to go out of this world. You know what? See, we are stuck with this world. We can't go, go out of it. We're stuck, but we don't have to be part of the world. Christ was in the world. He did not participate in the ways of the world, and Christ wants us to be, of course, lights in this world, not to participate, but still remain in the world, not to be coward, to teach, to help, to to whatever we can, as Christ did. You can see again both ways. Christ wants us to be light because he was a light. He gave his spirit to us so we can use that spirit to be able to, able to, get, to get close to him. There's so much I can say about this change. But I would like to just sum up in a way. 
and come back to the main purpose for this. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant if you want to, when people came out of Egypt, they came out with doubts. They were not sure God really meant what he said. Look, there were ten miracles behind them. They still doubted God when they saw Pharaoh's army. And they were hungry, they were thirsty, they yelled, shouted, and they want to go back. All right. But now, let's come to us. And then there was a moment they really needed meat, eating of any meat, and Christ did something. Back in Exodus chapter 16, This is one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible because it explains quite a few things. It explains why we are sick. It explains how to trust God. It also explains how. This is one of the best proofs you can have because people say, you people keep the Sabbath. How do you know the Sabbath was not lost during the Exodus? There are 40 years. How people did know that Sabbath was the seventh day, and the seventh day was always the same seventh day. How do you know it? Exodus 16 will answer. Very simple. You know, God knew. God knew that these people in the wilderness will lose the calendar. So God, when people complained, they want, they murmured. Verse 2, Exodus 16. They were in the wilderness. Again, they were complaining. God, they want to <laughs> they blame God. They said, they want to kill us? Verse 3. Interesting again. And then uh, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 16, verse 4. He said to Moses, uh, look, he said, uh, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. Now, let, pay attention to this. This is very interesting. God is giving them bread. They want meat, of course, but he got the bread. But this, this is different bread. And the people shall go out. It goes another commandment again. The same commandment. Obey God. Do what he says. God knows our needs. Once you ask God and his help for your need, trust him. Here people, the first thing that they say, now wait a moment. God tells them that they are going to have this manna, whatever it is, this bread, heavenly bread, and uh, they will have it for only six days. The seventh day, they won't find any manna, because the sixth day, God will give twice as much for two days. Therefore, for 40 years, people knew what the Sabbath was. Because for 40 days, they saw, on a Friday evening, a double portion of manna. Saturday, seventh day, they went, there wasn't any. Those who just hoarded, they wanted to keep plenty of it, it just went wrong. It just, it, it goes rotten. See, people, they still didn't believe God. For 40 year, years, God showed them what the Sabbath is, and they finally got the point, look, you won't get any manna the seventh day, unless you prepare the sixth day, and God will give you plenty for the sixth day. See, that, all, that, all that duality all the way through again. People did not obey. 
And those who, when they had against God's will, God's commandment, they found their bread <laughs> with worms. Verse 20 and so forth. So, now this is what I want you to stress. They had the physical bread, yet it came from heaven. It was a bread which gave them all the nourishment they needed. And then what happened? They turned away from God. They lost. They were perished. They perished. When Christ came, people in the world, as we just read it, saw it, they turned away from God. They crucified him. And then uh, before his death, Christ gave, and we saw it Passover time, his uh, last commandment. His last revealing of the truth. We carry John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those five chapters there shows you exactly what the new covenant is. He says you have to love your neighbor as I love you. The same commandment, but that as makes the difference. And all the way through. And then he said something, which will bring you back to Exodus 16. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, he tells us how God calls us, and he tells us what he, Christ, is. And that's one thing, of course, you and I understand, but you have to have God's Spirit to understand. And that's what we are here for. That's what we are actually celebrating today. Christ said in John chapter 6 something which is hard to understand. Yet, if you understood what I said so far, you would know what he's talking about. We're talking about physical and the spiritual. Christ is our nourishment. Christ is our bread. And that's what he says. John 6, verse 29. Something which was uh, unheard of at the time. Because they didn't know what Christ is talking about. He says, uh, John 6, verse uh, 20, 29, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. And then people want, of course, a miracle and so forth. And then Christ But, you know, it's interesting again, when you see Christ's answers, people wanted manna. They wanted to say, well, our mothers gave our forefathers manna. Uh, what do you do? Christ says, verse 32, most assuredly says, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. It was the Father who gave it. The manna was not given by Moses, but was given by God. Through Moses. But, but my Father gives you, says, the true bread from heaven. And then he goes one step further. For the bread of God, verse 33, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to his world. I see that the duality again. Our forefathers had a bread that came from heaven. But physical bread. And Christ came down, spiritual, and he gives his flesh, spiritually speaking, as our nourishment. 
That's what it is. It's something which human mind will not understand because it's, it's over and above human mind. Unless you understand this duality. The true phases of God's covenants, physical and spiritual. That, yes, we have to eat Christ's flesh. The humanly speaking, doesn't make sense, does it? So I am the bread, verse 35. Bread of life. Who he comes, he says, to me shall never hunger. There it is. He who believes, he says, in me shall never thirst. People, of course, were totally confused. Because they were carnal, they don't know what it meant. What do you mean by Christ is the bread? How, what do you mean by eating flesh? Well, we saw it. You repent of your sins. You accept Christ's sacrifice. Christ's spirit comes into you are part of God's family in the making. We are in the making. The church of God today is the kingdom of God in the making. That's what we are. But just step by step. You know, Mr. Meredith's oh, his famous, famous verses, Galatians 2.20. That's what it is. There it is. Galatians 2.20 is here. He's the flesh with the flesh. We let Christ live in us. That's what it is. At the time, of course, people didn't understand this. John chapter 6, you can read later on. It's very interesting because it goes all the way through and then Christ repeats this time and again. There was a point that some people did not want to listen to this anymore. They did not know what he was talking about. They, don't want, they didn't want to hear anymore. So when Christ said that he's the bread that we have to eat is flesh. What happened? Verse 60. John 6, 6, 6, 60. John 6, 60. Therefore, so many of these disciples, when they heard, he said, this is the heart understanding. This is hard to understand. What do you mean by you're the bread? So, he said to them, to his disciples, he says, uh, does this offend you? What, what then is that if you should see, verse 62, the Son of Man send where he, where, where he was before. And then he explains, it is the Spirit which gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Again, Christ showing the physical life and the spiritual life, this process. And then he told to them as to what's going to happen to him, physically speaking. From that moment on, something happens. Verse 65. Therefore, says, I said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Because, as you know, God is the one who is calling us. You did not choose God. God called, chose you to be called today. Give you this understanding. This is something very precious, brethren. And we take it for granted. Some of us will even complain. Look, it's a joy, it's a fantastic blessing to be called at this moment, even though it's a rotten world, even though we have much persecution. We are blessed above all things, above, above all people, because we have this understanding, we know what's ahead of us. We don't have to be discouraged. When you hear bad news, don't get discouraged. God knows that God is love of mercy. God is love of joy. We can have tragedies, yet still have joy because our eyes on are on the goal. So when Christ said that he's the bread, we have to eat, what happened? 
some people did turn away. Verse 66, John 6. There's your 666. <laughs> From that time on, says his disciples went back and walked no longer with him. Why? Because they did not understand that sort of excuse. God told Peter, you remember, he says, what you don't understand now, just wait, you will understand later on. If you don't understand something in the Bible, wait for God to explain to him. But you don't turn away from him. Some disciples did. What was Christ's reaction? He said to the disciples, the 12, verse, six, verse 67, do you also want to go away? Do you also want to turn away because you don't understand what I said? They did not understand what Christ meant. He said, I am the bread. They did not understand, but they did not turn away from him. When Christ asked them, how about you? Peter's answer was beautiful. Lord says, to whom shall we go? Think about it. Yes, I don't understand, but to whom do I go? You have the words of eternal life. He was given understanding from God and Christ told him that he's, he's blessed because Peter understood that Christ is the son of the living God. Brethren, I think it is high time for all of us to realize that what the world calls Old Covenant or New Covenant is not biblically speaking true. There's only one covenant. God made that covenant with Adam, with the first couple, with the first nation, with you, with you and me today. And that covenant is being in, in the process of being fulfilled today through God's Spirit in us. Yes, we are under the Old Covenant and under the, old, the New Covenant because both of them are the both sides of a coin. There's only one difference. And that difference is God will not force his way on us. That's one truth. All the way through, God did not force Adam and Eve not to take of the forbidden fruit. He could have. He didn't. God did not force the Israelites not to turn away from him. He could have, but he didn't. They were free. So they chose it. God says, all right, here it is. You choose. Likewise, God called you and me. He's not forcing us to choose his way or our ways. He leaves us free to choose. Any one of us today can, can turn away as the disciples did because it's hard to understand. I don't know what the future has in reserve for any one of us. But I know one thing, God will always help us, explain to us, help us understand, help us have the strength to go on. As Paul says, you know, he will never let us be tried beyond our strength. That I know, that I believe. And once you have that understanding, brethren, you can say like Peter, to whom do we go? No, God never forces us. So let's have this understanding and let's close with the statement God made to our forefathers in Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
this is a, one of the greatest blessings we have because you see, to, today human beings want freedom. All the wars we have had, look at what's happening in, in Iraq and all these fights in Israel. They all want to be free, freedom, freedom. The freedom God offers us is something we can all have, but God's ways, not man's ways. So it's high time that we as God's people, God's church, understand this simple truth. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. God says to these people, I've said before you, he says today, life and good, death and evil. That's a promise. I command you, he says, to today. And then it goes back to the Ten Commandments again. Sum up. To love your God with all your heart. To walk in his way. To keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. That you may live and multiply. This is the truth from the very beginning. That's what God told Adam. That's what God told the Israelites. That's what God is telling us today. That you'll be multiplied, be happy. Our nation did not heed to this warning. But, verse 17, if you turn away from God, did not hear, and you draw away from Him, then God makes a, a covenant. You see, brother, covenant means agreement. That's an agreement between two parties. That's what covenant means. It goes together. You do something, I do something. You keep my commandments, you'll be blessed. You turn away from me, you'll be cursed. Leviticus 26, it's all clear. So God says, look, if you turn away, verse 17, then he tells them, if you start worshiping other gods, I tell you, he says, verse 18, you shall surely perish. That's what he told our forefathers. They did not listen to him. You shall no longer prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan. And they did not. And then he says, I call, verse 19, heaven and earth as witnesses. And then he repeats again, I said before you, he says, life and death, blessings and cursing. And then he, his one order he gives you without forcing you, choose life, he says. That's an order. An order without forcing on us. Choose life, both you and your descendants, that you may live. That's what's all about, brethren. The two covenants are two sides of a coin. Our purpose here is to be changed one day from what we are, physical beings, into spiritual beings. And all in between is what God tells us will happen, is happening, depending what our choice is. So God says, choose life. 